I'm Jess. And I'm Jessica. And we're here to prove to you that the best content is produced after 2 a.m. Welcome to Humans of 2 a.m. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of Humans of 2 a.m. Yep. Well, welcome to Tea Talk. Yeah, I got my tea. Cool. I think we're officially changing the name to Tea Talk with that aggressive correction you gave me on the last episode. Yeah, probably. Also, I wanted to tell you that I texted my ex because it was their birthday the other day and I was thinking about you and our episode. Yeah, I'm sure many people had ex-birthdays that have passed. If that was you. Did you text them? Let us know. Let us know. If you did, how'd it go? All right, so what I researched was Gordon Ramsay. So my first fact is his favorite midnight snack is... Wait, let me try to guess. It's going to be something like super basic, knowing him. Peanut butter and jelly. Baked beans. Oh, ew. Oh, yeah, he is English. His second fact is he is a black belt in karate. I did know that. Okay, but did you know that he wears a size 15 shoe? No. Wow. Is he tall? No. He just has huge feet. Interesting. I mean, I've, he's tall. He's but a, not like. But not like Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. Tall, yeah. Okay, the next fact is when he was young, he wanted to be a professional soccer player, but he injured his knee during a trial with the Rangers football club. Interesting. That sucks. Sorry, Gordon. I did know that he loved soccer. And this one I think that you'll know and maybe could shed some more light on, but he really wants to have a cook-off with Bobby Flay, but Bobby Flay will just not do it. Interesting. Probably because he knows he's going to lose. Like, this has been going on for three or four years now where Gordon Ramsay will just tweet at Bobby Flay or say stuff on his shows, challenging Bobby Flay to a cook-off, and Bobby Flay is just 0% interested. Yeah, it's because he's going to lose and he knows it. Also, maybe they have, like, a rivalry. I think that they do. Um, I didn't dive too deep into it, but... I'm, I'm unaware if they do, but now I'm interested and I'm going to look into it. Yeah. Report back next I week. Will. So, well, that kind of brings us on to the next topic, which is the first Rabbit Hole episode. Mm-hmm. This episode, this time, is sponsored by Jessica Steinbach's Facebook Photos. I was up at 2 a.m. and I decided to just kind of scroll through your Facebook profile photos and I went ahead and wrote down some captions that I thought were interesting. All right. No wonder you text me saying like, wow, your Facebook pictures. Yeah. So can we talk about the one that I know? Which is you need to increase your intake of vitamin E. Yes, that's the final one. Yeah, but that's my favorite. Um, I'm going to start with most recent and least cringy, and then we'll work back down to 2009, that final one that you just mentioned. All right. So in 2013, you have a photo standing in an art gallery with your brother, and the caption is "We are super artsy." Okay. Fair. Not bad. Not bad. It's like a three on the cringe scale. 2012, you have a caption with, I think, your friends and you at prom, and it says, my gorgeous babies. They were, they are gorgeous. So we know that you were popular in, what is that, high school? Mm-hmm. Senior year of prom? Mm-hmm. So you were popular your I senior year? I wouldn't say that I was popular. I mean, if you say, my gorgeous babies, and have a photo with your friends at prom, like, you're probably popular. Okay. I don't know if that necessarily makes you popular, but... Okay. Well, then... 2012, you have a picture of you standing outside with a girl kissing you on the cheek doing the Titanic pose. And your caption is, kicking it old school. <laughs> so the back 
background behind that story is it's clearly the weirdest picture I've ever taken in my life. It's with one of my friends. And we used to just laugh at that picture for hours because it's so fucking weird. And I think I reposted it to, like, make everyone laugh. And that was the caption because it was taken a few, like, maybe a year prior to me making it my picture those of you that are interested we will be posting all of these photos and the captions on our instagram okay apparently we will i mean not the captions honestly you you are all lucky to be able to look at cool pics of me anyway not the captions because i don't know how to do individual captions on instagram the next one is in 2012 you have 2012 was a good year for me clearly clearly you have like this monstrosity of a hairdo like it is a mountain yeah it was for the fashion show okay Uh, casually the fashion show um your caption was work that updo yep in 2011 this is where things start getting cringy cringy you have L-I-F-E-G-O-E-S-O-N. Uh-huh. You're looking at a phone. It looks like you're about to trip and fall on your face in a parking lot. Honestly, rude. Everybody thought that picture was so cool and artsy, and it was Tumblr days. And this, it's from a song, the song that's like, L-I-F-E-G-O-E-S-O-N. By Noah and the Whale. Yeah, great song. You're rude. Next. Okay. Ready for the next one? <laughs> yes. In 2011, it is a picture of you and your dad in front of a Christmas tree. And it just says, Daddy, smiley face. Oh. <laughs> to be fair, it wasn't creepy to call people daddy back then. You were in 11th grade? Yeah. You were a junior in high school. <laughs> like I said, the stigma of the word daddy did not exist, so I'm still going to say it's normal. Okay. And the last one in 2009 is, did you hear the latest health report? You need to uptake your intake of vitamin me. And it's a photo of you and two of your friends in the Apple photo booth. Yeah. And I also think I'm doing like a blowjob hand gesture. Are you? I didn't even notice. We're doing the topic of rabbit holes. We've both researched our own rabbit hole thoroughly. Would you like to go first? Yeah, I would. Okay, so the rabbit hole I chose, I chose because it truly is the inability to sleep and people being up at 2 a.m. Wow, so on brand. So on brand. So it's called FFI. Can you guess what that is? Fun. Oh, it's definitely not fun. Frantic. Nope. Frantic findings inside mind. I added an M on the end. Yeah. Okay, that's not right. Um, It's called fatal familial insomnia. That sounds terrible. Yeah, so it's basically this, like, rare genetic condition where you don't have the ability to fall asleep. Wow. Yeah, so basically it was discovered, the first case was in 1765 in Venice, and a bunch of these family members just started, like, hallucinating and dying, and nobody could figure out what it was. So as the years went on, they were like trying to study and it's like highly genetic. So one out of every kid in the family, like one of two had it. And so they all died really young and nobody could figure out what it was. Fast forward to 1984, down the genus, another family member um, had the same sort of situation like the symptoms and I'll talk about the symptoms. And he was like, this is a thing I've heard about it through my ancestors. Like 
I know I'm gonna die. So he enrolled himself in the University of Bologna. So for the last six months of his life, they studied him. And when he died, they sent his brain tissue to a lab elsewhere to try to see like what's going on. So basically they found out that there's this rare genetic mutation um, that causes this like fatal genetic disease um, and it doesn't allow your body to sleep. The way that they like noticed that this was what the case was was that they would watch this guy who enrolled himself in the university to study and he would start to fall asleep and he would jerk awake immediately. And so they were like, oh, he can't sleep. And so that's how they figured out that this was what's happening. And then obviously, if you're not sleeping for months, like you're gonna go crazy. Basically the symptoms of it, it starts as muscle jerks and spasms, and then you start speaking in tongues. And people won't be sure if they're asleep or awake. They'll have hallucinations, delirium, confusion, paranoia, and oftentimes dementia. Wow. Yeah, so it's like pretty crazy. It's like they literally are going crazy because they don't have any sleep. And it's a 50-50 chance of spread. So, like, if you have it, it's a 50-50 chance that your kid is going to get it because it's a dominant gene. There's no symptoms, so you have it your entire life, and then it immediately starts showing up at, like, 40 to 50 years old. Oh. Yeah. So you don't know until you get into, like, later in life if you have it or not. Oh, I thought you were saying people were dying, like, as children. No, like, usually 50, 60 years old. So it affects men and women equally. Okay, so it's diagnosed through sleep studies, PET scans, and genetic testing. So you'll find, you can find out if you have it. Or if you, like it runs in the family, you can get a genetic test to find out if you have it. But there's no knowing if it's like actually going to strike or not. Got it. After you're diagnosed, there's a seven month to six year lifespan. So you're going to die pretty soon, actually. <laughs> so basically the way that it's caused is that there's these proteins called pyrons. Pyrons? Pyrons? They convert slash replicate so basically it's like an unhealthy pyron and then it replicates to a healthy one and then that one splits and then once it splits it goes back to that destructive phase and it ends up eating all your brain tissue so when they found out about it when they took his brain tissue and sent it to the lab the thalamus so that's the front part of your brain that controls like alertness staying awake among other things is completely like riddled with holes Wow. So this replication eats holes in that part of your brain, which is why people can't sleep. Do you have the name of that guy? Of what guy? The guy that got tested in the 80s. Silviano. But he doesn't say his last name. Oh, Silviano. Yeah. Doing one for science. I know. Shout out. I know. So tiny holes in your thalamus. It's the PRNP gene for anybody that wants to look it up. And so basically your sleep and wake cycle is disrupted. But it's really interesting because it's the same mal-like formation as what we see in mad cow disease. Hmm. So have you heard of mad cow disease? Yes. Yeah. So it happens in animals as well. There's also like an equivalent for sheep. But the craziest one is that it's the same sort of mutations that they find in kuru, which is another disease. And it's only seen in people who are cannibalists. Oh. So they eat other people and then they inherit this like gene from them. Wild. Yeah, isn't that crazy? As of 1998, only 40 families in the whole entire world had it. Oh. Eight of them were in Germany, two in Australia, two of them were British, one Japanese, and one Austrian family, and that's it. Wow. Yeah. 
So now, in 2016, so most recently, there's only 24 cases of Okay, it. so it's so really it's on the down. super weird. It's like one in a billion chance. But the other insane thing is, is there's another form of it that's the sporadic, and it has nothing to do with genetics. So it can just onset in anybody, even if you're not a carrier for it. Is it a psychological thing? No. Or is it a physiological? It's a physiological thing. So, like, your body just replicates incorrectly, and then you have this, even if no one in your family has ever had it. What are the treatments for it? Nothing? You just die? There's, not, there's no cure. So they're still looking to find cures. I thought this part was really interesting. So another family that's had it in their genes, whatever, like, part of, I think, the same family as the Silviano guy, the woman was, like, the mother of the family, so it's, like, a woman, her husband, and then they have a new daughter, was diagnosed with it. And so her and her husband both dropped out of their careers and then enrolled in Harvard Medical School and are now getting their PhDs in biology trying to find a cure for it. That's crazy. I guess, yeah, if there's only 24 cases, yeah. people are probably not trying to cure it. But, I mean, is there a treatment, though? Like, no. You, so, you, you what take would you like think? A, like, take, like, an Ambien. Yeah, or, like, call a it sleeping a day. pill. Yeah. Right? It makes it worse. Why? Yeah, I no. don't know. But sleeping pills make it worse. So, like, barbiturates, benzos, anything that, like, makes you pass out makes this disease. What about Benadryl? Makes it worse. Anything that, like, causes drowsiness makes the symptoms more intense. What about, like, cocaine? Just go the opposite route. Uh, I tried that. Yeah, nothing helps. Wow, that is crazy. Isn't that insane? That was a good one. Thanks. It's also kind of similar to mine. Really? Yeah. Okay, let's hear it. All right. Are you ready for truly the craziest thing yeah. that you'll ever hear? Yes. So I found this on the History Channel. Um, I like to read their daily stuff. And they were doing this big expose on the 20s and different plagues that happened in the 20s. This plague, the earliest known incident occurred in the 1020s. Okay. Okay. So we're talking like way back. And when I say this out loud, you're going to not believe me. Okay. It's called the dancing plague. Okay. All right. So it was a phenomena that occurred primarily like the most recorded sessions of it were in medieval Europe in the 14th to 17th centuries. Basically big groups of people up to thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people would just begin dancing erratically, and they just couldn't stop. I think, actually, I learned about this in one of my biology classes. Yeah, and so it affected men, women, children, everything, and they just danced until they were either exhausted or died. Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah, so um, let me get into it a little bit more. So this is also called um, St. Vitus dance because originally they thought it was like a curse sent by the saint, and the victims of the dance plague would often end their processions at like a church or a monument dedicated to St. Vitus. The earliest outbreak was in the 7th century and it repeated a bunch of times across Europe until the 17th century and then it just stopped. Weird. Yeah. Like I said, that first incident was in the 1020s mm-hmm. where 18 peasants went into a church during Christmas service and just started getting after it. Another big outbreak that was well recorded was in 1237. Okay. A large group of kids danced 12 miles from one city to another. Holy shit. Then in 1278, another one was 200 people were dancing on this bridge, mm-hmm. and the bridge just collapsed. Shit. Then in 1428, a monk danced to death. In 1518, a woman began dancing in the street, and 400 people joined her. Like, where did they have this dancing plague as well, or did they just join her? They believed that it was spread like through the air so if she was dancing and you were kind of like oh hey are you fine then you would 
also get it. Oh my god, okay. But we'll talk more about logistics in a minute. So the characteristics are obviously intense dancing, and then they they still don't know whether the dancing was spontaneous or planned, but what they do know is that the dancing was happening in a state of unconsciousness. So they were not consciously dancing, and they were unable to control themselves, but they didn't know if the dancing was planned or not. Okay, so it's like they either started it and went into a trance, or just danced in a trance. Yeah, participants often didn't live where they danced. They would travel to the place um, while they were dancing, and then people would join them, and then they would just kind of caravan through Europe dancing. So as they picked up more dancers, they would pick up dancers that wore bright colors or had sticks, just depending on different cities. They had kind of different dancing mm-hmm. cultures as they go to their death dance. Mm-hmm. Oh, one thing also, they had a couple recordings of people that were dancing naked, and some of them were having sex while they were... What? Like, violently dancing and couldn't stop, and they were just unconsciously having sex while dancing. That is insane. It just gets crazier, so hold on, girl. They usually didn't stop until they either broke their ribs and died, but throughout the whole time they were laughing or crying or screaming. Some of them were singing. Um, so just imagine looking out your window right now and seeing 400 people, like, every once in a while, one would crack their ribs and die. People were screaming or laughing or singing. Like, just play it in your head okay. for a minute. God, horrifying. It's the scariest thing I have ever heard. Honestly, like, COVID sucks, but this is... Horrifying. It's yeah. horrifying. Like, it sounds really funny. At first, I was like, oh, ha, ha like a dancing plague, LOL. And then I started reading about it, and it's terrifying. Yeah. Truly terrifying. This is the next thing I thought was really interesting. Participants would get violent. So if people were just watching them but not participating, the people that were dancing would get pissed and like get violent with them. They also had really odd reactions to the color red. So some of them couldn't see red. Some of them got really upset when they saw the color red. Some of them just started laughing when they saw the color red. The color red was just something that was really triggering. Really triggering okay. for them. They also could not wear pointed shoes. They also really liked their feet being hit. I want to know, like, how did they come up with all of this information? So I was reading through the History Channel, and basically it's various sources from different places kind of all mentioning the same thing, which is crazy because I would get it if we looked outside now and we saw a bunch of teenagers dancing in the street because we'd be like, oh, TikTok, like, that's just what's going on. So then some other symptoms that they would get are chest pain, convulsions, hallucinations, hyperventilation, epileptic fits, and visions. Okay. Let's talk about how they treated it. Okay. They treated this just like the Black Plague. They put the dancers in an isolated spot, and some of them were exercised. They also went to some places that were dedicated to St. Victus, because that was something they really thought was a key. Some cities would play music. Mm. So these people are dancing with no music initially. So some cities would start playing music or employing musicians to play for the outbreaks. But then people would come and hear it from their houses or their huts. I don't really know (laughs) what they're sitting in. Stone. Their stone holes or whatever. And they would hear the music and end up going outside and being like, oh, yeah, this is so fun. Let me dance. Catch whatever is happening and then make the whole situation Mm. worse. Let's get into the theories. Okay. All right, so nobody knows, first of all. There's no decision on this, whether it's a social illness or a real illness. Weird. The number one theory is ergot poisoning. Do you know what that is? No. 
So ergot is like mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So during a really heavy rain, the mushroom water would go into their crops. Symptoms of ergot poisoning is what some people try to achieve today by eating mushrooms. It's hallucinating convulsions and basically just being high as heck. Mm -hmm. So makes total sense. The next idea people had was maybe it was some sort of brain swelling due to just the conditions. Mm-hmm. Other people thought maybe epilepsy. My guess is like if there's some things that impact electrolyte imbalances, you'll have muscle convulsions like this. And so I'm wondering if it was maybe something that like that people were eating or a virus or something that kind of impacted being able to properly flex your muscles. And so it would cause people to like sporadically dance, like basically like spasms. Yeah. So the last one would be uh, typhus, which is what you're explaining, mm-hmm. a virus that really affects your neurological system. So these are all kind of what modern doctors are guessing it is now, but none of them can account for all of the symptoms, mainly the dancing. Mm -hmm. Because it it was, yes, it was convulsions, but also it was dancing. You would recognize it as dancing. Interesting. And you looked at it. So the second theory, which I kind of like, is that it's all this shared stress that the community is feeling with plagues and floods and just death everywhere. People with carts to just throw your dead on top of the cart. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have a bathroom. Everything's just really bad. People just dance to find a relief. And since they were so low, when they danced, they felt so high that they just became ecstatic and just couldn't stop. And they were seeing visions. The third theory is mainly for our conspiracy theorists mm-hmm. out there. So the third theory is that all the dancing was staged by religious cults and they were dancing in accordance to the Greek religion, which was banned. So unless they could say, oh, it's just a plague, like we can't help ourselves, they weren't allowed to celebrate those banned religions. So some people think that it was just these religious cults. Mm-hmm. I mean, who is behind everything these days? Religious cults. This is insane. Yep. I want to, I mean, obviously there's no way of knowing like what the cause of it was, but I'm so interested in knowing it. My guess is that it has to be something biological. There's no way that people would like walk up and just like, I know that you like that second theory, but I feel like it's too far fetched. Sure. Of course. I agree. Um, So here's a couple more facts that they did know. Most, if not all participants in the dancing plague were psychologically disturbed. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're thinking likely some of them took part in it just because they were scared or wanted to fit in. Mm -hmm. If there's 10,000 people dancing on your street and getting violent with you to join them, do you think that you would do do it? it, Yeah. Yeah. They also think it's the earliest form of a mass hysteria. Mm -hmm. And they also think it's something that's called a psychic epidemic, Mm -hmm. which I just really liked what this meant. And I do feel like maybe we could slip into something like this in Mm -hmm. the near future. It's a cultural contagion, which means it's a folk illness triggered by hardships where you are feeling physically ill because you believe in a folk illness that's spreading. So someone could have just been a medieval doctor and said, oh, that person has dancing plague. And if you get near them, you're going to get it. Their brain could trick them into getting that illness. That is so crazy. It's insane to me that they couldn't stop. Like that's the part where I get really hung up on because I feel like if it was like 
mass hysteria or something like they would be able to stop you know like eventually your body would like make you collapse because you're tired and you wouldn't necessarily die from it but you would faint right or like the fact that they're in a trance like that to me says something neurological some sort of like neurological virus or parasite or something yeah I think it probably is a combination of a little bit of everything you know maybe the mushrooms plus a cultural contagion like I don't know but Mm -hmm. I read about this for two hours because it was the most interesting thing I have ever read. Yeah, that is crazy. Blows mine out of the water. Even though mine is really interesting, that is crazy. Those were our rabbit holes. Yeah, and now I'm thoroughly horrified to either get this, like, crazy thing where I'm never going to be able to sleep again and I'm going to die, or this is going to resurface. I am surprised, but also not surprised that we both picked illnesses. Yeah. Also, this stuff is, like, so interesting. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah. Let us know if you guys like this type of an episode. We may do more. Yeah, if you like it, you can send things in and we can go down rabbit holes, do deep dives on it. If you don't like this, we'll never do it again. Yeah, either DM us on our Instagram at humans of 2 a.m. Or you can call or text the hotline at 872-CALL-2AM or 872-225-5226. Oh, I finally learned what it is we're supposed to say. Okay. So you can follow us on Spotify, or if you want, you can like us and rate us and comment, like leave us a... What's it called? Review. Leave us a review on the podcast app. If you get your podcast through other things... I don't know how to upload them on there, but let me know. I'll give it a go. Um, but those seem like the big two. You didn't even say what they are. Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Spotify and Podcast app by oh, Apple. Got it, got it. Yeah. Okay. Tell a friend. Don't tell a friend. Yeah, we don't care. Just hope you enjoy this. Yeah. Um, and... I'm going to go to sleep. And I'm going to go down the rabbit hole of candle making. Hmm, interesting. Okay. See you next time. Bye.